You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, featuring the top interviews from this past week's show with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn. Hello and welcome to This Week on NFL No Huddle as we take you back through the week that was on our program. In this episode, Cordell and I will discuss the Super Bowl and major offseason headlines. Let's start off with Charles Davis of Fox Sports and NFL Network. CD, thanks for taking the time. So as we're thinking about the profile of this game coming in, both teams were in the top five in scoring defense in the regular season. What happened to the defenses last night? I'd rather talk about the food court. Mm, did you go to Shake Shack? You know, I did not make it to Shake Shack on this trip because that would have involved me going outside, so that just wasn't going <laughs> Remember, it was the bold north, and we were talking about the hospitality of the locals. I thought they did a marvelous they job. They did a marvelous job. They really did. From the time you landed to the time you left, I thought they were just absolutely incredible. But I will, I will tell you, if I'm on a Super Bowl committee, it's a no vote every time to a cold-weather Northern Super Bowl. Just not happening for me. Unfortunately, they don't ask us, Charles, so we go no, where they we're don't, They don't ask us. I remember <laughs> I said that to a friend of mine, and he said, I absolutely agree with you. He said, but if we were ever on the Super Bowl committee, that would mean that we have ownership stakes somewhere. <laughs> and if we have ownership stakes somewhere, we will want it in a new stadium in a cold-weather place because we'd make more money, so your vote would change. And he just pretty much... Killed my killed my mood right there, and he was right. But here's the good news: you were in the press box. your wallet. You were in the press box. I think getting paid. It wasn't an internship. So what'd you take away from calling the game? Well, I thought I thought obviously what you talked about. You know, both teams going in top five scoring offense, top five scoring defense. Did not see it being the track meet that it was. But I did pick Philadelphia 35-34 going in. I thought there'd be plenty of offense, and there was. But the way that they got to it. I mean, how do you throw for over 503 touchdowns, no punts, and lose? That's just counterintuitive all the way around. I thought that the New England corners and safeties would do more to try and disrupt the Philadelphia receivers off the line of scrimmage, kind of like they did the days of old. You know, Ty Law was a finalist for the Hall of Fame. I thought they'd take his technique, and I thought guys were getting easier releases into the secondary, which surprised me. And obviously, you know, Malcolm Butler not playing. Then you flip it over to the other side, and Nick Foles never shrank from the stage. Not that I expected him to, but he got comfortable real early, and Doug Peterson was determined to get him comfortable early with his play calling. And how about a guy getting on the gas and never getting his foot off of it? I mean, Doug Peterson, because we were in the North Country, he walked out of that stadium like Paul Bunyan. I mean, he was the man when he walked out of there because he never got off of his philosophy. And I know coaches do it all the time. We're going to be aggressive against New England. We're never going to back down. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then you get into the game and you get it tight and you go, ooh, I'm going to run the sprint draw. <laughs> Here we go. All right, let's punt, let's punt it and play defense. And he never did that. Charles, when you look at how the game actually first started, I thought, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought it was a win for New England's defense by not allowing that offense to score a touchdown. I mean, if you watch Philadelphia, I mean, they yep. did everything they wanted to do moving down the football field, and they stopped them from getting a touchdown. But then you saw Nick Foles with converting some big third-down throws and having a chance to convert on four down. But in the second half, which I think where teams have a tendency, as you mentioned, to take their foot off the gas, you end up seeing New England scoring, which I think to me and this next drive was a tall tale of the outcome of this game. You end up seeing Philadelphia going down and scoring right after that. How big of a game was it for Nick Foles? Outside of understanding the MVP award that he, he ended up getting in this game, how big of a game did he have for himself moving forward for his career? Oh, he had he had a game of his life, obviously. He had a game for the ages, Cordell. And, and, you know, just to echo what you're talking about, to me it was one of the weird games in terms of New England was doing the chasing most of the game, but I felt like they kept putting the pressure on Philadelphia's offense to respond. And if you're really thinking about it going into it, yeah, I'm going to put the pressure on Nick Foles to respond versus Tom Brady all the time. You may be leading – but I want to see you continue to put up points. And they did, but we all I don't know what you guys thought, but when they held them to three on that one drive late in the second half, and then Brady got the ball with a chance to take the lead and did, you're like, ooh, was that the one? Was that the break? Was that what, what they'd been doing all game long? And, of course, as you pointed out, Foles kept doing it. Now, Philadelphia put the money in Nick Foles to be that backup, and he came through in a big way. Was it $12 million? 
He's under contract for next year for Philadelphia. So if you want Nick Foles and you think that he's the guy now after what you saw this year, if you're Howie Roseman and the Eagles, you're having a conversation with Nick Foles that says, you know Wentz is going to be our starter going forward. We're not changing that. We appreciate everything you did. We paid you handsomely for it. It's going to take a heck of an offer for us to think that we're going to let you go. And, and I think that Nick Foles has the type of personality to understand that. I don't think he's going to stomp up and down and say, let me go somewhere and be a starter. Because being in Philly and being the backup and having just won a Super Bowl, he never buys another meal in that city again. Getting released and going to Cleveland right now, is that as attractive as one might think? I don't know with his personality that it is. Or they view him as an asset and they flip him, maybe get a second-round pick. If they're talking Arizona, it's going to be a fascinating offseason. Recapping the Super Bowl with our good friend Charles Davis, NFL Network, Fox Sports, called the big game for an international audience. So take us through what you were thinking when we had a pair of the catch, no-catch plays yesterday on NBC. You probably know Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth went 0-2. for They thought both those plays were going to be overturned. What were you saying in real time? Um, Bob Papa and I, on the first one with Corey Clement, we thought touchdown with our naked eye. On the replay, we thought it would be overturned. On the Zach Ertz one, I don't know why there was even a discussion. That, was, that to me, was classic clip and save put on your reel that says, this is what a catch and then turns into a runner looks like. Why that was a delay is beyond me. I have no idea, and to me, it's part of the problem with the league right now, that you're slowing down a game for that play, because he caught it, clearly established as a runner, dove across the line, had nothing to do with the ball popping up at that point because he broke the plane. That one, to me, that one was so easy. I mean, and I'm not saying it like I'm Mr. Oracle here, but that one, to me, didn't merit a 15-second discussion. The first one, I can see why there should have been a discussion, but I thought the first one should have been overturned, and the second one never should have even been discussed. Charles, last one for me. You know sports history well. Where does what you saw yesterday rank amongst the greatest, most entertaining Super Bowls of them all? Oh, it ranks up there with, with, the, with the arguments and the discussion because this one you fired the starter pistol and the game, it was game on right from the beginning. They just kept going and going and going. Last year was incredible because of the comeback. By New England, you know. We've had some great ones along the way. I, you know, we could rank them as we want to. But this one, to me, is in the discussion. Although in the line to get on the plane this morning, a guy turned to me and said, man, I really like the game, but almost too much offense, which is not something you hear very often from a fan. So that, that I found very interesting. And I did remind him that the game actually kind of turned at the end on a defensive play with Brandon Graham knocking the ball free from Brady. Glad you didn't follow me on Twitter because I was comparing it to the San Jose Sabercats at one stage. Little bit of arena football early on. Good drama at the end. So, so, Brandon, so Brandon Graham's play was the stop, right? Because you you're know, right, Brian, right. we did all that arena football. And remember, an arena football game, the goal each game was what they called three, what was it, three and a half stops, meaning no touchdown was a full stop. Giving up a field goal was a half stop. If you got three and a half stops in a game, you felt like you had a chance to win in arena football. We essentially got a half a stop yesterday. I mean, think about it. The Patriots never punted. So to your point, yeah, it makes sense that way. But it went up and down the field. So that fan that I talked to this morning that talked to me, he'd be like, yeah, what Brian said. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Brian, Brian went for the Hunky Cooper illusion, swing and a miss. Did you go for the Hernandez Hunky Cooper? <laughs> Charles, did you, you... Did, you, did you see him get in David Shaw's face here? You know, Hernandez is assistant coach for the uh, – for um, San Diego State, that you, was him going to David Shaw when they went at it in the, in the game during the season when they were walking off the field at halftime. That was Hernandez Hunky Cooper. You and I can talk about the 50-yard indoor war all day long. We're going to let you get some rest. I know it's been a long week for you, so thanks so much for taking the time to join us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks a lot. No longer than anyone else who had to cover it. It was a lot of fun. You guys take care. Talk to you later. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle. And we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Tune in has what you need and when you want it when on the run and on the go. Covering all musical needs. Today's hits. Latin hits. Country roads. Hip hop beats. Sit down. 
Sit down. Supporting artists and the music they make exclusively on TuneIn. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on This Week on NFL No Huddle, we're joined by Anthony Gargano from 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia. Anthony, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Has the partying died down at all now that we've reached Tuesday? No. <laughs> no, it's still going strong, guys. It's, it's unbelievable. I was just having this conversation it feels like the week between Christmas and New Year's where nobody works and everybody's out. Like, the restaurants were full this afternoon. I don't think anybody's working. All people are doing is toast to the Eagles. It's the greatest thing in the world. Anthony, give us the take on how the city was when watching the game. I mean, there were moments in games where – you saw Philly, especially at the very beginning. Uh, they make they take that first drive down the football field. You think they're going to score yeah. a touchdown. That was some form of momentum. Uh, but they end up getting three points. You see in the second half when New England scores on their first drive, but yet they come right back and score uh, and answer with a score of their own. Give me your take on the, the feeling and the energy and the ebbs and flows of emotions going through that city because I know everyone in that city wanted it really bad. Yeah, Cordell. Something really strange and beautiful happened this past week. All weekend, all week long, leading into the game, there was no fatalism. You could spell fatalism with a PH before. This was always a town that something bad's going to happen. I did a show uh, Sunday morning, and it was this great belief. And then through the game, it was belief. This town, for two weeks, ever since they beat Minnesota, believed they were going to beat New England for the Super Bowl, and they never wavered. It was the strangest thing, guys, and, and really kind of cool. Like, it was the utmost belief. Cordell, like, you, if you were playing in front of these people and talking and being around them, the positive energy was just – it was palpable. Brian, mm-hmm. you've been around sports a long time. You know there used to be fatalism here. Not at all. Not at all. They felt it in their bones. So what changed? Is this now bizarro land where just people fell in love with this team and what falls in as a backup? Dude, like, like, it's unbelievable. I, I don't know what changed. It was just a feeling, a collective, I don't want to go cosmic on it, but you know, it was a collective energy, but nothing changed and like, nothing dramatic happened. The people just felt it. I think they believed that this team – um, it's been an odd year, right? I mean, they lose Jason Peters and they lose Jordan Hicks and, of course, Carson. And yet, you know, they kept going and Doug Peterson kept risking it, right? I mean, think about the calls. A trick play, fourth and two from the goal line. He goes for it, five and change to go, five and change to go from his own 43-yard line, and he goes for it on fourth down. And there's pressure, and Foles makes the play. It's, it was uncanny. So the term happy in Philadelphia doesn't go together. How happy is everyone right now in Philly? Yeah, it, it's beyond that. It's bliss. So that's a state that is bliss is a state that's higher than happiness. And it's pure bliss. It is love thy neighbor. You want to talk about brotherly love? That's exactly what it is to the 10th degree. Like, People are going and opening doors and buying. I, I, I had a, a caller today call up. We, we had a great story from a woman in San Diego who was sending her husband to the parade. And this guy calls up and said, I want to pay for her to join her husband at the parade. I it's mean, the like, summer of love in Philadelphia in February. Yeah, random acts of kindness. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and we're still talking about Philadelphia. This makes no sense to me. We're chatting with our pal, Anthony Gargano. All right, let me get you to what could be interesting in the offseason. Nick Foles wins the Super Bowl as a backup quarterback. Does he just return to being number two on the depth chart in Philly, or is he an asset And Howie Roseman trades him? Yeah, I, I talked to somebody today. I mean, I don't think the Eagles would be offered more than the third-round pick. And uh, I think it's in both parties' best interest for Nick Foles to stay as a backup. Look, Nick Foles played 10 terrific quarters. The first half against Atlanta, he struggled. 
but he played 10 terrific quarters. He was terrific for those 10 quarters. He's best suited as a backup. He's not going to go to Buffalo or Jacksonville and replicate what he did. Carson is the starter, and he could be the best backup in the league. And by the way, be the toast of the town. Never pay for a meal, never pay for a beer, never pay for anything other than just get adulation. So why would you leave? So what happens to Chris Long and LeGarrette Blunton and Jay Ajayis? I mean, those are the few guys uh, that we know um, that had one-year deals and and are up uh, for an opportunity to maybe redo their deal. Do you think they come on and, and give the team a good deal and just hang around? Because this team is really young, Anthony. They can have a, an opportunity to make a run for at least the next two to three years. Uh, you're right on. I think uh, Long would definitely stay and definitely be remembered. He donated his all of his game checks right. to charity mm-hmm. this year. So I think he'd stay. I think LeGarrette Blunt loves it here. I think he would love to stay. And I think Jay Ajayi is your feature back. So I, I can see a scenario where all of them stay. I mean, it's going to be interesting because they get, if you remember, they get a, a, lot, of, a lot of pieces back who were hurt, including their second-round pick who's a dynamic young quarterback. So, like, you're going to get – there's going to be – they're going to be really good next year, and next year will be winning for Carson. And this thing is, is really – so look for – there's a guy, Joe Douglas, who's Howie Roseman's right-hand man. He's a great football guy, great personal guy. He and Howie and a guy named Andy Whitehall um, and Tom Donahoe, who you know, Cordell, put this thing together, and they've done a fabulous job at the roster. So let's wrap it up with the forecast. How many people we expecting, Anthony? Plus, we know the Philadelphia's had huge crowds in the past when the Sixers and Phillies won. Yeah, we're talking three million people. Hmm. Three, imagine this, three million people that will line from Broad Street to the Parkway, and it's going to be a scene. There was a million people out on the streets after they won. I was one of them. I saw it. It was, it was awesome. There were very few problems. It was a lot of love, a lot of fun. And this Thursday, it's supposed to be uh, sunny, chilly, but sunny. And it's going to be one of these great parties of all time. They're building a stage on the art museum like you saw, guys, uh, for the draft. So it's going to culminate with the same place that the NFL draft was in, right on the iconic art museum steps, right down the parkway from City Hall. So it's going to be 3 million people and a lot of loving, a lot of hugging, and probably a lot of drinking. (laughs) And that's always a winning combination. Anthony, always great to chat with you. Enjoy Thursday. Uh, Guys, always a pleasure to be on with you. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Listen to your international news on TuneIn. Search under TuneIn News and catch up on what's happening in the world with CNN International. Welcome back to World News. Or go to the corners of the globe with BBC World Service. This is the BBC. And Jazeera News. This is Al Jazeera. So on the run, in the car, or anywhere life takes you, now you can listen to international news as it breaks on TuneIn. Ask Alexa. Just ask me Alexa to find your international news on TuneIn. Or search news today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on This Week on NFL No Huddle, let's focus on a busy week in New England with Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Andy, thanks for taking the time. Got to start with Josh McDaniels. Does his decision to back out of the Colts' job to stay in New England indicate to you he's now the Patriots head coach in waiting, even if there's no formal written agreement? Yeah, I don't think there's any other way to look at it. Um, I have to think across the NFL, he's a little bit toxic right now. You know, this is a guy that's coming off. um, I remember talking to people in Denver saying Josh was the most hated person in Denver sports history when he left there. Um, Comes back, rehabs his image, you know, he's gotten plenty of interviews and then makes a decision to back out after a team has already, you know, thought they hired him and announced him to the point where his agent uh, parts ways with him. So, I find it hard to believe he's going to be popular in many places other than New England right now, so I have to think he made this decision uh, knowing that the, the future, the long-term security for him 
was in New England. The only question is, how soon is that? And, you know, some people are saying this is Belichick's last year. I'm still not sold. I mean, I don't know exactly what happened over the last 48, 72 hours. Um, I had sort of an inclination all along that there were little circumstantial evidence where you could talk yourself into thinking maybe this was Belichick's last run. Um, I'm still really interested to see how this plays out in the coming days. I I don't think all the dust has settled here. And uh, I'm a big believer that sometimes when things stink and they don't pass the smell test, you need to sniff around a little more until you find out what the, uh, what the rotten odor is. I agree with you, Andy, because it's, it's almost like this has been a year uh, for this New England Patriots team where a lot of things has happened in a way that we haven't been accustomed to seeing happening, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo being let go at the time in which he was gone and, and not necessarily really having a good answer for the backup. Tom Brady, he loses Alex Guerrero. I mean, it goes on and on. Not Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, not Jimmy, but uh, Rob Gronkowski uh, mentioning that, you know, there's conversation that maybe you don't know for sure what he's going to do next season. So it's it's almost as if this organization is at a point where maybe the turnover may be uh, a time to start happening, maybe now, uh, but maybe because of pride they don't because they want to go back and probably try to make another run at a championship. Well, certainly – you know, it's a it's a tidier ending if they took care of business on Sunday against the Eagles and losing and all the story with Butler and just the disappointment of that um, adds a layer to this. There's no question about that. But, you know, I've been thinking all afternoon about sort of just the reading the tea leaves. And if you remember, one of the issues in the Seth Wickersham ESPN story was that that Bill wanted a, a dynastic succession plan in New England. He wanted to pass the organization off properly. Well, the quarterback position, that may have gone out the window with whatever went down with the Jimmy Garoppolo trade and why Jimmy Garoppolo is no longer here. And then it made me think, well, is he thinking the same thing about his, his position, the coaching position? And, okay, they, they can't have the quarterback in place, but if he lets Josh McDaniels leave and then he walks away, whether it's this offseason, next offseason, now you've left them without a coach and a quarterback. And – that's not exactly a succession plan, a true dynasty to continue. And, and I remember a few years ago when he was critical of the, the Colts, when they had no backup answer to Peyton Manning, and they ended up going the suck-for-luck route and everything there, and he called it irresponsible to have the team fall apart like that. And I think he sees a responsibility to not only win now and do his job now, but prepare the Patriots for life after Belichick, life after Brady. And I just wonder if that's what this is. This is preparing the Patriots with – uh, you know, um, Josh McDaniels, and clearly the Crafts would have to be on board. It's their franchise. It's their decision. But I just wonder if this is the succession plan, and now the question is, you know, when does the passing of the power happen? And, you know, we'll probably find that out in the coming weeks and months. Chatting with Andy Hart, Patriots.com Radio. Andy, what do you make of the Rob Gronkowski retirement speculation? Is it too cynical to think this could be a ploy to try to get more money out of the Patriots? No, I think that would be considered accurate. Um, that was my interpretation almost from the get-go. Um, certainly, Gronk fueled the speculation with the way he answered the questions post-game. And, you know, how did that get out there? How would you hear about that? And, you know, I'm not ready to talk about it, but I am going to sit down and consider my future. Um, it's going to be a sticky situation with, with Gronk and his contract. They gave him the new deal this offseason, the incentives for this year that doubled his salary to almost $11 million. He achieved them by getting an all-pro season under his belt. Trouble is, the way the cap works, those incentives, more than $5 million, go on next year's cap when he already has a cap number, I believe, around $11 million. So now you're up to $16 million. If you wanted to give him a similar incentive-laden deal for next year because of his history and you never know when he's going to get hurt, those incentives would be likely to be earned. So you're talking about a cap number of $20 million for a tight end, which just isn't really financially realistic in the NFL. Now, they could do a longer-term deal with more traditional signing bonus and all those things, but now you're pushing it off down the road. And I just, I think this is going to come to a head, and I am not projecting that Rob Gronkowski will be traded by no means, but we know Bill Belichick, when backed into a corner on contracts and when dealing with things like this, assuming he is still making all the decisions, um, I just wouldn't, wouldn't ever rule it out because I do think that's going to come to a head, and, and Gronk is sort of making it clear that he wants a new deal, I think. Did Malcolm Butler's uh, absence in this game uh, increase this team's chance of losing? We know Bill Belichick is, is the guru of, 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 of throwing players in, but if Malcolm Butler would have played, would it have been a better outcome? No question. 
I mean, you're talking about a guy who played in 100% of the snaps previously in the postseason, 98% of the snaps uh, basically during the regular season, won you a Super Bowl in his first real action, was a Pro Bowl corner after that, was your number one corner for a couple of years. You'd match him up against Antonio Brown and some of the best receivers in the game. And now you're going to tell me he's not good enough to get on a football field. And, oh, by the way, you could even sell me on whatever's going on with him, bad week of practice, head, anything, that he wasn't good enough to start the game. But once you see where the game is going and you can't stop the Philadelphia Eagles, that the people you put out there, Eric Rowe, Johnson Batamosi, Jordan Richards going with a four-safety package, a guy that's really struggled anytime he's ever played defense for New England, once you see that's not working – Then, you know, the old saying, break glass in case of emergency. Butler couldn't do any worse, and I think he clearly would have done better. They didn't tackle well. He's one of their best tacklers at cornerback. So, you know, I think it's it's a little much for Patriots fans to say if Belichick had played Butler, we'd have another Super Bowl ring. But he gives you a better chance. You have a better chance as that game played out to get Jordan Richards off the field or Johnson Batamosi off the field and put Butler out there trickle-down effect with Rowe and sort of the other coverage options. There, there's just no debating that. You would, you would have had a better chance if you at least took a shot with Butler. Why he didn't do that, we may never know because you know he's not going to tell us. And, you know, Butler claims he doesn't know, so I don't know that we'll ever know why. But the Patriots would have had a better chance, yes. And if he wasn't going to play Butler, why was he even dressed? I know he had a cameo on special teams, but if you're going to not have one of your best defensive players out there, why they even allow him to be active? It's a great question. It's great that you bring up the, the one snap on punt, um, punt return. There was only one punt in the game. So we'll never know if there had been a different type of game, if there had been nine or ten punts or something ridiculous. Would he have played every one of those and those have been his only snaps? I don't know. You know, there's also been a lot of speculation, although Butler issued his statement saying all the reports of anything were ridiculous, speculation that within the 90-minute window after you already announced your inactives, Something happened. He got into an altercation with a coach. He blew up whatever. I don't know that to be true. You know, I've ne- certainly not heard that with any reliability that anything like that happened. But that's a theory. Another theory thrown around is just that, you know, Belichick wanted to make an example of him. You know, wanted to just put him there on the sideline and have people see what happens when you go against authority or whatever it may be. Make a point. Prove a point with him. I'd like to think that's not the case because, in my opinion, Bill always says he does what's in the best interest of the football team, which is – Certainly a loose, vague phrase because you can look at it short-term, long-term, day of game, you know, program, establishing a trend, whatever. But in the best interest of the football team was either Malcolm Butler plays or you activate somebody who is going to play rather than playing a man down in the Super Bowl, which is what they did. So it's a great question. Again, I'll add it to the mix of ones we may never have an answer to unless one of those two guys spills the beans. Finally, and most importantly, is Cordell Mark Mann in New England. You know, as we are wrapping up our coverage in Minnesota, he walked over to your compound and he dropped that bombshell, picking Philadelphia to win the Super Bowl. Well, when you're right, it's it's hard to be a marked man, I guess, right? You know, when you get the call right, um, and I guess the uh, the not done network turned into the hashtag all done network. And, you know, give the Eagles credit. They, I don't know if you guys saw it. That's I, I give the Eagles credit on social media after the game. They tweeted out done, and you know they were right. It, it's a very Patriots way of doing things. You talk after you win. You don't talk before the game. And uh, whether it's Cordell or the Eagles, they they deserve the right to gloat because they got the job done and the Patriots didn't. Well, Andy, yeah, I mean, you it, talked win, lose, draw, <laughs> preseason, rain or shine. We really appreciate all yeah. your help every step of the way this season on the NFL on TuneIn. It was really my pleasure. And, you know, if you want to keep it going the offseason, we'll talk draft and trades. I don't know if you've noticed, but it feels like the Patriots are always at the epicenter of NFL talk. It's almost no matter what happens. They win, they lose, guys come, mm-hmm. guys, go, guys go. It's always Patriots talk. So anytime you're looking, I'm ready. And that's why you have plenty of job security. Thanks, Andy. We'll be in touch soon. (laughs) All right. See you guys. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle. And we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Tune in, listeners. It's Fanbuary. It's Fanbuary? Yes, Fanbuary. That time of year when we get ready for life after football. NBA playoffs. Two, one for the win. Yes! March Madness. Slam to ants. MLB spring training. It's gone. It's a home run. NHL playoffs. Here's a chance. 
Block, rebound, score! And the best way to celebrate Fanbuary is by upgrading to TuneIn Premium so you don't miss any of the great moments in sports commercial-free with TuneIn. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on This Week on NFL No Huddle with former Colts punter Pat McAfee in the wake of Josh McDaniels backing out of the Colts head coaching job. Pat, thanks so much for taking the time. What did you make of Josh McDaniels backing out of the Colts coaching job to stay in New England? You know what? I think it's such an interesting situation because when you're in the playoffs, and Cordell can attest to this, Whenever you're in the playoffs, your focus is 1,000% on trying to win a Super Bowl, especially with the way the Belichick dictatorship has been run up there. Tom Brady said on Facebook after kissing his kid that if you want to beat him, you're going to have to give up your entire life for it. So a conversation between Belichick, McDaniels, and Kraft never really got to happen. I think some agreements were come to place, but until right after the Super Bowl, which is a terrible loss for them, obviously, I don't think it all got shored up. I'm assuming Josh McDaniels will be the head coach for the Patriots within a couple years, just kind of keep it on moving. So the Colts definitely got the short end of the stick in it all, and it looked bad, but it's an understandable decision whenever you take a step back from it all, and I think I think anybody who understands how focused you have to be to win a Super Bowl can understand that whenever it comes to everything. And now, aside note real quick i grew up in pittsburgh pennsylvania okay i grew up playing backyard football street football telephone pole to telephone pole and anytime anybody did anything awesome or out of the norm all we would scream is slash the fact that i'm getting to talk to cordell stewart right now is a beautiful thing a true legend of the sport a true legend in the steelers kick returner wide receiver quarterback it don't matter bill cower at the helm cordell stewart making plays it was a beautiful time to be alive. That's all I got to say about that. That's my guy, Pat. I, I like the sidebar. That was good. But let's stay on track here, Pat. We got to stay on track because we can talk Pittsburgh Steelers football all day. Josh McDaniels could have been a phenomenal teaching tool for Andrew Luck, who we've seen since getting the $87 million bucks, hadn't been able to truly stay on the football field. Give me the, the hot air balloon type conversation. How much air was taken out of that balloon when we knew Josh McDaniels ended up turning his back on coming there to help Andrew Luck become the quarterback that everyone anticipated him to be? I think with the way McDaniels, his first run at head coaching obviously didn't go as planned, I'd assume. He had a lot of bad players coming out speaking badly about him, so he kind of got a bad rep. But he goes back to New England, and he continues to be this quarterback guru with Tom Brady, who's the greatest quarterback of all time, making magic happen. Maybe he learned some lessons from his first time. He could bring him to Indianapolis Colts. Andrew Luck, who can carry a team by himself with not a lot of talent. I got a chance to witness that. Who knows if he's healthy or not. But whenever you think about the mastermind that McDaniels truly is, if you start gifting all of the Patriots offense success to him in recent years, which you can and a lot of people have done, I think hopes for very high with McDaniel's brain getting back here in Indianapolis, which is a fan base that didn't really love football that much. Peyton Manning comes in, puts them all in their head, takes them on the winningest decade in NFL history. I get a chance to, to be in the tail end of that. Football was just a hugely fanatical thing here in Indianapolis. Another regime came in. The head guy, the regime, Grigson, wasn't very much a fan favorite. It was kind of a couple underwhelming season after early success. Fans kind of started losing faith in the whole Colts operation. Josh McDaniels is back on board. Here we go. Greatness is coming again. We got Andrew Luck hopefully healthy after his shoulder surgery 14 months months ago. Let's keep it moving. Chris Ballard's a good brain. And then, this is obviously a speed bump to that whole thing, but I believe with Chris Ballard's brain, who I appreciate and respect, I think he'll be able to find a good head coach. And I think if we just get back to winning in here, Indianapolis Colts fans cannot wait to get back on board the coach train. And I'm excited for that as a person who still lives in Indianapolis and loves this city. Chatting with Pat McAfee. Check out the Pat McAfee show streaming here on TuneIn. It is highly entertaining. Pat, I can't justify what Josh McDaniels did. On this program, we've called him anything from duplicitous to unprofessional. But do you buy a theory out there that maybe he had a moment of clarity, woke up and said, why am I leaving New England? Plus, do I really want to work for Jim Ursay, who can be erratic or on a big word Friday, mercurial? What was your experience like working for Jim Ursay? There's a couple of things here. I have no idea what duplicitous means or that other word you use. It's a Roger Thesaurus Friday on the program, Pat. I'm trying to educate the young people who don't read anymore. 
Yeah, your diction is fantastic. I, oh, I, I mean, that is just absolutely incredible there. I, I, you need to go. I, you do the dictionary.com word of the day thing. And, boy, that was really beautiful you just did right there. I honestly believe, and I alluded to this at the beginning, Josh McDaniels, I assume he agreed to something. The Colts went one all in with a press conference. It's an entire day was scheduled. They had lunch scheduled for his wife. Like, they went all in with this. I assume at some point the mistake McDaniels made was that he said yes. But you can't fault him for the fact that during the playoffs, it's a laser focus type thing. So he never got to talk to Kraft. He never got to talk to Belichick about his future. Never got a chance to be like, hey, what's going on here? Like, is there a chance for me to become a head coach here at any time? That conversation didn't happen until after the Super Bowl loss. So I think really the only duplicitous thing he did, if I'm using that word right, was potentially lead the coach just a little bit astray. But you can understand it whenever you don't really have a chance to talk to your current situation about the future because of how busy you are. I think the playoffs are such a tough thing to navigate through when you're either trying to find a head coach or trying to become a head coach. It's a very tricky subject to deal with your focus levels because if you lose and you're doing this, you feel like you let your entire team down. I just think it was terrible timing, an awkward situation. Josh McDaniels will be the head coach of the Patriots at some point, and the Colts hopefully will find somebody good too. And I have no clue what that word is that you use still. I still have no idea what the hell that means. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I have to deal with it every day. Don't worry about it, Pat. You're doing fine. <laughs> at, least you try to, at least you try to slide it into what you were saying very Yeah, Cordell uh, really just ignores good. me, Pat, and you he, can do likewise. <laughs> hey, let's make Cordell feel better. What was your favorite memory of Cordell Stewart growing up? Uh, you know what? It, there's so many. It, it really, as somebody who grew, I was born in 1987. So, like, my my dad is a diehard Yenzer. He's a Steeler fan Ooh. through and through. My, my family, I'm talking the whole thing. So, whenever you saw Bill Carr and Cordell Stewart take the field, it was just an electric few years there of just happiness because you never knew what was going to happen. Cordell could make a play out of nothing. And that was just something that was so electric, so respected across the city, across the community. And the fact that he's doing this show now with a guy who's using these big-ass words, yeah. I just find it absolutely amazing. Pat, I'm going for counter-programming from Barstool. I'm, I'm just trying to appeal to people who want a couple, and write this one down, polysyllabic words in the afternoon. See, that, that's, that's, that, that's that Stanford Education. Tell him, you know. It's, it's, Andrew Watt went to Stanford. We're not all bad. It's a, it, it, yeah, it, he's it, the it, least relatable human on earth. <laughs> that guy is the least relatable human on earth. But he's a hell of a quarterback, and he's a really nice person. Well, I got to so follow up there. Hang on. What makes him so unrelatable? He, he still has a flip phone. Yeah, he still I'm has saying, a flip phone. You Stanford, you Stanford people. Now, Zach Ertz is a Stanford guy. Right. He was on my show yesterday. It's not Toby Fleener's friend of mine, Griff Whalen, friend of mine. But whenever you get to those super brains, like you humans, it's very tough to relate to your interests uh, because you just have such a better view of, like, smart stuff than anybody else. And Andrew Luck is very, he's not very relatable to guys like me. He and I never had a great conversation where we dug deep into our same things, but he's a very nice guy. He reads a lot of books. He has a book club. He has a flip phone. He's an incredible quarterback. It's tough to be relatable, which is what Barstool is. We're just trying to be relatable for the common man, by the common man, not the super, super intelligent people who win ESPN spelling championships. That's a whole different world. Well, that won't win your games, Pat. That's for sure. We know that won't win your football <laughs> games, nor keep you healthy. But with saying that, knowing that he, this organization really needs someone, would you say it's a complete letdown knowing that you could uh, could have gotten a coach that, that that's coached the, the best to ever do it, to coach with the, one of the best that ever did it, and, and Bill Belichick? Is it somewhat of a letdown as you move forward to try to find the next candidate to become the head coach of the Indianapolis coach? I think, honestly, with the way Indianapolis is, and I think every city outside of New England for the last decade, New England Patriots are the least favorite team, just like the Yankees were, just like the Lakers were. Winning breeds envy and breeds hate. I mean, that's just how it is. You go to any city that's in the AFC, their least favorite team is probably the New England Patriots. So Indianapolis is no different, especially with the run with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. We've had a lot of losses, a lot of wins over the Patriots. It was a good little rivalry there for a while. So I think all this did is just heighten the hatred for New England. And if you take a, if you look at it from like a complete strategic standpoint, getting a brain out of New England would be great for everybody. 
because it's making New England Patriots worse. But not a lot of Belichick uh, disciples have that great of a winning success because that type of culture that Belichick demands up there is not one that if you don't win immediately is going to be one that's going to be able to withstand. You can't just make everybody's life miserable and lose. In the modern instant gratification society we're in right now, that's just not going to be able to withstand. So I think although McDaniels is a genius, although he has done very good things for New England Patriots, I don't believe that the next coach who comes here, it could be Frank Reich, who was a quarterback coach here when I was a rookie. He was my first quarterback coach. I was third string. People forget that. But it's one of those things where I don't think the Colts fans are going to be that upset, like that much of a letdown, because now their hatred for New England is just that much more. Pat McAfee's our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Last one for me. Pat, I know you're going to find this stunning. I have absolutely no athletic ability. That's why I wanted to become a sportscaster and use big words. You are a renaissance man. You have actual talent. Why did you gravitate towards being a punter? Well, I, so I played soccer, and I was supposed to be a soccer player for a long time, as most kickers and punters are. I had more colleges looking at me for soccer than I did for football. But whenever I realized that I could just kick a ball far and only take, like, three steps instead of having to take, like, run seven miles in a soccer game, I just went with that. I wanted to be rich in America, not rich in Europe. And my dad and I just worked our butts off. Uh, we figured it out. And I've always had really good friends that are quarterbacks, running backs, linebackers. I've never been an outcast in a locker room because I have a competitive mindset. A lot of the old school kickers didn't have that competitive mindset. They were just there to do their job and keep it moving. But for me, it's just I had a rocket attached to my hip, and I was able to take advantage of it. I had great coaches, and I got a chance to play in the NFL, live a dream, and take care of my my entire family and friends, which is what it's all about. And now you're friends with Cordell Stewart, so you're living the dream. I'll tell you what, that'd be not, I became friends with John Daly earlier this year. That was a big move for me. But That's the bigger. fact that I'm talking to Cordell Stewart now, I mean, I, this is a big day. This is a big day. Great, going to be a great weekend. That's what I'm talking about. Keep telling that to Brian Weber. Make him understand that. No, please. I got it. I got it. I've been riding his coattails for two years, Pat. I understand who stupendous? the star is on what, this what show. What do you call that? What, what is that? Stupendous? Is that a big enough word for you, Brian? Mm. To say about how happy he is about you know hanging out with us right Pat now? Pat is loquacious. Well, I would be completely flabbergasted if nice. he did not feel electric excitement in a stupendous way about Cordell Stewart being his co-host day in and day out. Pat, thank you for being a bulliant. We love the show. Keep it going. We hope to chat with you again on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, I appreciate you guys. Cordell, thanks for the years of happiness in Pittsburgh growing up. We appreciate it. Ryan, have a good one. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Despacito? Yeah, we were on that before the Beebs even heard of it. Mi gente? Way before Queen Bay. We were already on it. Discover the next Despacito or Mi Gente track on any of our Univision radio stations. From regional Mexican music and top-rated shows to Latin trap and even Jackie Guerrido on the radio. Search for Univision here on TuneIn and enjoy a wide variety of flavors and stations. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on This Week on NFL No Huddle, we visit with former agent and CBS Sports business analyst Joel Corey. Joel, thanks for taking the time. Take us back to yesterday. What was your reaction when you heard the mega deal that Garoppolo had received from the 49ers? Uh, First, I was surprised the deal was done this quickly. I originally thought the timetable would be after the franchise tag deadline, uh, March 6th, before anything would get done. And then I thought that maybe they would wait to see what happened with Kirk Cousins to see if he got some sort of deal which weighs the bar more than this deal does and tried to come in under that one. But apparently San Francisco put their best foot forward and I always said as an agent, if you can get the deal you want with a structure that you're satisfied with, you go ahead and do the deal regardless of what may happen in the marketplace afterwards. Joe, when you look at how the, the value of quarterbacks have gone over the years, how do you really – Put it in a box because there's really no box when it comes to the value of a quarterback to certain organizations. You know, sometimes you slot them, of course, when it comes to drafts. You sometimes slot them when it comes to free agency. Uh, but the way it looks right now, starting off with Andrew Luck with his $87 bucks guarantee. Now Jimmy Garoppolo, seven games where he had a chance to start, and he's won all games. He gets $74 million guaranteed. 
How do you now moving forward with the Kirk Cousins, with the Drew Breeses, with the Aaron Rodgers, how do you gauge the worth or the value of these players with these prospective teams? Well, as far as I'm concerned, the quarterback market is finally starting to increase at a rate it should. It remained pretty stagnant after Aaron Rodgers signed his deal in 2013. The Needle really didn't move until Andrew Luck in 2016. So I think we're now having a little catch-up from where the deals didn't escalate. Now when you have a guy who started five games become the highest-paid player, that's something that the more established quarterbacks look at, and they have to be looking their chops. To me, Kirk Cousins was pretty good for three years as a starter, so that gives him justification to try to get some team, if he's an unrestricted free agent, to pay him $30 million per year. If not him, Matt Ryan's probably going to need a contract extension this offseason. If he chooses to go out and try to maximize his value, he could be the guy. And Aaron Rodgers historically has gotten contracts with two years left on his deal. That's where he'll be this offseason. I will be shocked if he's not in a $30 million per year club if those other two don't get there. Joel, do you think one of those names you mentioned, let's say for the sake of this conversation, Aaron Rodgers, could make history and say, forget about voidable years. I want the total deal to be fully guaranteed. I want the NBA structure here in the NFL. At some point, somebody's going to do that with a quarterback of that type of caliber. You really have to fall off of a cliff not to play through your contracts. I'm not sure for a quarterback and the discount you'd have to give to get the fully guaranteed contract, it would be worth it for, for an Aaron Rodgers. Maybe for a Kirk Cousins, that may make more sense if he can do that, particularly if he's not going to get the dollars he thinks he's going to get. That would be a way to distinguish the contract. But for an Aaron Rodgers, I think he's going to he's probably going to go out and maximize the money, whatever that may be because the likelihood that he plays through the contract is greater than it is for most other players. Joe, you mentioned the word maximize. Um, when you look at Nick Foles and his position that he's in, how does he maximize his opportunity after becoming the MVP of the Super Bowl? Well, part of it is going to depend on what Philadelphia wants to do, because he is under contract through next season. He's going to make $7 million. If they're comfortable that Carson Wentz is going to be able to play opening day and play effectively, then they're probably going to look to move him maybe to Minnesota since his quarterback coach, John Filippo is now the offensive coordinator. Um, maybe they'll be able to get a King's ransom for him given the, the uh, lack of quality quarterbacks, even though this year you're going to have more in the market than before. So it's all going to depend on what Philadelphia – potentially could get for him, and two, Wentz's health. I think if he does get moved, he's, he may be in a position to parlay that into a $20 million per year extension. Chatting with Joel Corey from CBSSports.com. Joel Corey of CBSSports.com is our guest on the NFL on Tune. And Joel, last one for me. What can you tell us about the details of A.J. McCarron's arbitration case? And if he wins it, what's the marketplace looking like for him as a free agent? Well, this comes down to simply one thing. Um, was he put on the non-football injury list appropriately, which right now is costing him a year of service for free agency? If he was supposed to be on injured reserve, he gets the year of service for free agency, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. If he's restricted, Cincinnati's probably going to put a first-round tender on him for a little over $4 million, maybe try to move him um, at that point. Um, he's got to be one of those bridge deal type quarterbacks, given he hasn't played in the past two years, even though he should have a playoff win to his belt. Uh, I would look at him as that Mike Glennon type range on a two, three year deal, 45 million over three years. If he is an unrestricted free agent, Joe, we appreciate the insights. Thanks for joining us again on the NFL on tune in. Sure. Thanks for having me. You're listening to this week on NFL, no huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. What up, y'all? It's your boy, Jay Connor, co-host of the Extraordinary Negroes podcast. And in honor of Black History Month, TuneIn offers a variety of podcasts to celebrate the heritage, culture, and accomplishments of African-Americans throughout American history. You can listen to interviews and more with Larry Wilmore's Black on the Air. Just because the point really isn't about race when it comes to immigration, I don't believe so. As well as great podcasts like Another <laughs> Round. So I thought we could have a little story time with the kitties. Is that cool? So listen to all these dope podcasts and many more all month long right here on TuneIn. 
Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out this week on NFL No Huddle, we're joined by Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. Nick, thank you for taking the time. Got to start in the San Francisco Bay Area. Let the audience know in advance that you had a coaching internship with the 49ers this summer, but it will not influence your objective analysis. Take a step back. If I tell you a player only has seven career starts, can you really justify giving that player $74 million guaranteed against injury, as is the case with Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, I know that is uh, the talk of the sports uh, world uh, today, the contract with Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, we could sit and point out the uh, seven starts and say, well, that's not a large body of work. Sometimes that doesn't really make a difference. The only thing that made a difference is that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo felt that he was at home with the San Francisco 49ers. Both Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch felt as though they had found the quarterback they were looking for. Uh, Brian Hoyer was not the guy. And the young guy, C.J. Beathard, uh, he, he's definitely uh, great to have at the young number two spot, and he just got some valuable experience of this season. But when a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo comes along, you have to go ahead and ink a deal. You have to make it happen because uh, Cordell knows this, uh, being uh, the quarterback on on the show, that 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 position is kind of like the premier position in the NFL, and we talk about it all the time, needing an elite passer, uh, and this being a passing league, why not have a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, who's actually shown in his time as a San Francisco 49ers quarterback, that he can lead a roster that may not be as talented as some of the other rosters around. And just look at what they were able to do against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm sure the team is going to sell a lot of tickets this season, knowing as though they have Jimmy Garoppolo wrapped up for five years. When you see the money that he had the opportunity to grab, uh, rightfully so, I think it's, you know, four years in the game. He's been taught by the best. He watched the best. He's been around the best. Um, when you look at what happens with Kirk Cousins and a Drew Brees, you know, how does that work for them? I mean, Drew Brees has been in the game for, you know, 12 to 13 plus years. And, and you know what he means to that community and that football team. And, but Kirk Cousins, he's had a body of work over the last three years that we can all probably say that this was a one man gang there in Washington and everyone was depending just on him. Do you see these guys being able to get that type of guaranteed money? Well, you know, as far as Drew Brees, I don't see Drew Brees going anywhere else. Uh, obviously, uh, the combination of both he and Sean Payton has worked well uh, for the both of the guys and the, uh, the franchise of being as it may. And also, you look at the fact of uh, at 14 and 15, that's where both the New Orleans Saints and the Washington Redskins actually rank as far as salary cap is concerned. You know, the Saints have $32 million to work with. And Washington has $31 million to work with. And if the Redskins brass, if the front office thought that Kirk Cousins was worth a long-term deal, they would have did it a long time ago. We saw the confidence that they had in getting a deal done or even Kirk Cousins in this uh, production on the field when they traded for Alex Smith. That, that said a lot. So when you look at the opportunity for these two quarterbacks, there's not a lot out there. There's slim pickings. And if you're Kirk Cousins, there's only so many places that you can go. To me, four teams come to mind. You have Denver, Cleveland, Arizona, and Minnesota. And right now, after uh, the blockbuster deal that Jimmy Garoppolo received yesterday, uh, Cleveland is the team with the most money in the salary cap room with $110 million. So you have to ask her cousin, I mean, do you want the money or do you want to have an opportunity to win? Because even though Cleveland has gone with the money ball, they have some picks, they have money, can you go there and be successful knowing as though you have Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, and Pittsburgh still is still in that division? So right now there, there is a market out there. Will those teams be willing to give you that amount of money equaling that to Jimmy Garoppolo? That is the question. But if I'm Drew Brees, it's not about trying to be the highest-paid quarterback. It's about trying to find a way to have money at the team's disposal to make your team better Overall, you got to think, this is a New Orleans Saints team that was one defensive stop away from making a trip to the Super Bowl. Cousins telling us last week on Radio Row, Minnesota, winning is his number one priority, but that's what everyone says until they have 
an overwhelming offer in front of them, taking you around the league with Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. Nick, what happens to Nick Foles? He's got a year left on the contract. Does he go to being a backup in Philadelphia once more, or do the Eagles view him as an asset, shop him around the league? Let's say the Cardinals offer a first-round pick to the Eagles. Are they dealing Nick Foles in the offseason? Well, if I'm, if I'm the Eagles, yeah, you definitely uh, have to consider it. Look, look at what's happening right now with the Eagles organization, and we see it all the time. It happens with the players, uh, the coaches, when the team wins the Super Bowl. Their roster is being rated right now. Uh, uh, quarterback coach John DeFilippo, he now, he's now the offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. Frank Wright, who is the offensive coordinator, he could be interviewing for the coach job, and he takes that job. So now you have to say, if you're Jeff Lurie, we have to strike while the iron is hot. So if a lot of teams are trying to give us a top pick, I mean, he's been a star in the league. He's shown that he can step in and he can win the big game. And just looking how the offense flourished with him at the quarterback position, and he is the reigning NFL MVP. So he has a lot of negotiating power, and that's what it's about. It's about leverage. And if they can leverage, being the Eagles, an opportunity to move Nick Foles to kind of get some more picks and make that team much better, now that you're going to have a mass exodus of your coaching staff, I say you have to explore that. But Nick Foles, if I'm Nick Foles, I'm thinking, well, I would like to stay with the Eagles organization. I've proved my work. And for me, backing up Carson Wentz, but at least you know you have a fan base that believes in you. You know that you can actually go out there and execute despite all what the naysayers and pundits have said about you. So I want to stay in Philadelphia if I'm Nick Foles, but this is out of his control. Going back to the game a little bit, because we never really had a chance to really dive into it ever since we saw the end result. When watching this 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 Philadelphia football team, it, it's almost as if it's okay to say that they're going to have like another two to three year run because there's not too many players that's leaving or up for contracts other than the guys who signed one year deals like the Chris Longs to the Le'Veon Bells uh, to the Jay Ajayis. Uh, but when you look at this, does this team deserve the opportunity when it comes to power rankings or just the thought of going back again? Should they be in the forefront? of that conversation because they're really not losing too much anything but a couple coaches. But the team, the nucleus of the team is still there. Cordell, when you look at it, the fact you say, well, how and why was uh, the Eagles successful this season? Jim Schwartz's defense came in being one of the uh, top leading defense against the rush. Uh, you really wouldn't have known that looking at the game against the, the Patriots. But when you have a mass exodus of the coaching staff, like Frank Wright, John DiFilippo, definitely to me that's going to make that offense slip in the rankings because you're like, well, who's going to step into that particular position? Can they now and do they have uh, the fortitude and the acumen to actually put something together for either Nick Foles or Carson Wentz to duplicate the level of production that either quarterback was able to show on the field? And with that being a huge question mark, of course, you're going to slide just a little. And then also that defense I was just talking about, I mean, you gave up 33 points in the Super Bowl. I know we can say, well, that's Tom Brady. But you were coming in as being uh, one of the most uh, recognized and talked about defenses uh, in the postseason, and you give up and you surrender that many points. To me, that those are all big question marks, knowing as though there's a new coach uh, with the New York Giants uh, we, the idea is that you know that uh, with Alex Smith being the quarterback now for the Washington Redskins, their offense is going to look different. And you can expect that Jerry Jones, he's going to do something different down in Dallas. So with all those things uh, being said within that division, yes, I think it's too premature to put the Eagles right there if, we, if we're talking about a power index ranking for the NFL teams. All right, but one could counter as we take you around the league with Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. Nick, you got Carson Wentz coming back from the torn ACL. No guarantees, but let's say he's fully healthy. His team was top five in scoring offense and scoring defense last year, and they're young. If Howie Roseman could keep the young nucleus of talent intact, why couldn't we be looking at a team that wins another Super Bowl or two? Because we know, and Cordell knows this just as well as I do, it is hard to go to the Super Bowl back-to-back. And with the fact of you losing some uh, key components on the offensive side of the ball, to me that changes everything. Because whether you Nick Foles, uh, Nate Sudfield, or you are Carson Wentz, the fact of having three guys, quarterback guys, in your room to help you out, that, that's something that most teams don't have. 
and to know that two of those guys are, could be moving on if, if Frank White takes the job with the Indianapolis coach, without, which I assume that he will, to me that changes a lot as far as quarterback development and scheme and play calling, which was huge for the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. You're astute, Nick. Good call. We'll chat with you soon. All right, guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern time on the NFL on TuneIn. The National Football League is on TuneIn.